Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 254, recorded December 3rd, 2016. So it's a little sad, but we're finishing off DC Comics Volume 1 today. Right. So this will be not, I mean, we did Volume 2 before. So is this all the DC Star Trek? Uh, We have one more annual to do. Annual. Okay, so one more annual to do. Okay. And then I guess if we ever did want to do... Uh, some of the the movie adaptations. I mean, technically, we didn't review those, but we kind of uh, early on we, we said that we weren't necessarily going to do those. So, right. aside from that, our eyes have touched every DC comic. Wow, that's an achievement. That's quite a few out there. Yep. So, anyways, I think they uh, they uh, from reading these. You don't get the impression that they knew they were going to get canceled at 56, so it's it's a little sad because even in the even in the um, letter column in 56 they talk about what they're going to do in later issues and mentioning Peter David continuing right. to write and stuff, right? Right. Hmm. Which he did do the volume too, but I don't know how much of what he was planning on doing ended up actually going into volume two, or if they just right. completely started from scratch. How much time was between volume one and volume two? Uh, to be honest, don't know. Hmm. Okay. I mean, they didn't lose the rights and then get them back again, or did they? Uh, the new the new series started in 89, and these issues are 88. in 88. So huh. it was a, a few months at least. Oh, okay. Okay. So they didn't lose anything. They just decided to renumber and maybe do make a few other changes. Right. Well, well, actually, no. It was uh, it was about a year. Oh, because okay. the the issue fifty six has a cover date of November eighty eight. Yeah. And issue one is October eighty nine. Okay. Okay. So it was late in eighty nine that they started right. up again. Right. Okay. Cool. From what well, from what I've read, there there was some price renegotiating with with Paramount at the time. Oh. And that's why it, I guess it could have gone to another publisher, but ended up staying with DC. Okay. Well, um, I think 50, 54 and fifty five were pretty good issues to go out with, but uh, fifty six not that good. Yeah, a little bit of a going out on a whimper, but again, they probably didn't know they were going out. So right. And uh, I will say this, and. Uh, you you know how my I thought I'd seen all of Star Trek, uh, the original series. Uh, mm-hmm. They do reference an episode in fifty five that did not really ring a bell with me. So I went back and uh, rewatched it. Yeah, and man, I really liked it. I thought it was a great episode. Yeah, one one of my favorites now. Oh and wow, that much! I, I had no idea. I had never seen it. Well, you got the Yvonne Craig in that one. Well, I wasn't going to spoil it for anybody. Which alone is worth the price of admission. Batgirl. 
Yes, she's in it. Yeah. But let's not go with too much into it because it is a big surprise in issue 55. Oh, okay. I'll stop. Although me just mentioning that she's in there could be enough. Oh, it should be. For the people that are reading uh, or listening along. Right. All right. Well, saying that, you want to, we should just jump into 55, or I'm sorry, 54. Sure, let's do it. All right. So this is uh, my pleasure to bring to you. Um, it was entitled Old Loyalties. came out in September of 88. The writer was Peter David. Pencils by Gordon Purcell. Inks by Ricardo Villagran. Letters by Tim Harkins. Colors by Michelle Wolfman. And Headaches is how it's billed, but I'm assuming its editor was Robert Greenberger. So again, the uh, title is Old Loyalties. So on the cover, however, the uh, caption reads, The Return of Finnegan. And it shows Kirk holding a mechanical hand as if it just popped off of someone while he was shaking hands with them. So the story starts with the cleanup effort on the planet that was ravaged recently by the rogue starship Renegade a few issues back. If you recall, Enterprise crew was there uh, fighting some androids and whatnot. So uh, here we find a gentleman named Commander Finnegan and his aide working with a Federation crew on investigating what happened here. They are puzzled as why Captain Burroughs took off on his crazy rampage from this very planet, only to return here a few weeks later to die. They also wonder why there is only one naked dead woman within all the rubble, while all the other dead people are fully clothed. A shuttle from the Enterprise arrives and requests that Finnegan come to the Enterprise to help with an investigation on Kirk's attempted murder. Back on the Enterprise, Bearclaw is training martial arts when he is arrested in front of everyone for the attempted murder. He tries to run, but is stunned and then dragged out. Shearwood is the only one who's shocked about what's happening. In sickbay, Kirk is getting out of bed despite McCoy's orders. Shearwood arrives and tries to reason with Kirk about his claim that Bearclaw tried to kill him. Kirk tells her that he saw what he saw, and what he saw was Bearclaw. Shearwood arrives at Conum and Bryce's quarters. There, she tries to get her friends to see that Bearclaw is innocent, or at least could be innocent. But both state that they could see Bearclaw doing this. Shearwood leaves in a huff. The small Klingon-human hybrid, who is now calling himself Bernie, hears... Bryce and Conum state that Bearclaw doesn't have a single friend on the whole ship. Sherwood goes to the brig to visit Bearclaw. There, he is a total jerk to her, and she leaves thinking that, heck, maybe he did do it after all. In the hallway, Kirk answers a call coming from the wall communicator, and he says, Would you mind, Spock? Reach seems to be a problem. Remind me to have the intercoms lowered. So, Kirk takes the call and is informed that the Federation Security League's representative is nearing his approach. 
When the shuttle arrives, Kirk is shocked to see his former nemesis, Finnegan. Finnegan apologizes for not remembering Kirk. And he states that he did lots of questionable things when he was young and in the Academy that he now regrets. Kirk agrees to forgive him, and they have a handshake to agree to it. Only to have Finnegan's hand pop off. Finnegan has a great laugh, and he quite enjoyed Kirk's face when he was pretending not to remember him. Ensign Blomker escorts Finnegan and his aide to their quarters. Finnegan cannot shake how Blomker reminds him of someone. Back on the planet, the naked woman that they were looking at earlier has been identified as none other than Blomker from the Enterprise. To be continued. Wow. Wow. That is something. That is something. Uh, of course, I'm talking about those chipmunks, those three chipmunks that helped Kirk out with that wall panel. Yeah, I thought they were more beavers, but uh, they, could, they could be chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> so in the middle of an issue, yes, Peter David both. has three, not one, not two, but three. Actually, they're squirrels, right? Look at the tails. Anyway. Yeah, they could be beaver's tails, squirrel tails, who knows? Yeah, okay, so whatever they are, they're little rodents. So he has three of these little guys that just happen to be walking around. Only one is in the Starfleet uniform. The other two are not. Well, they're wearing Starfleet overalls. Oh, oh how do you know that? They oh, have okay, I see the badge. Okay, yeah. I see that. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so only one's an officer. The yeah. other guys are obviously uh, lower-ranked just scamps that are there to do something. Maybe they clean up after people. Um, Anyway, so Kirk can't reach the comm panel. Because he's in a wheelchair. Exactly. And so rather than Spock doing it, the little little squirrels say, oh, let us, Captain. And they they go on each other's shoulders, three high, and they activate the comm panel. Right. What the heck? It gets even worse. When they're leaving, you can see the three of them in the background, like, Wobbling and falling over. <laughs> <laughs> wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's weird, but it's like, uh, you know, it takes somebody like Peter David to pull off something like that. Because no one else would be allowed to do that. I mean, could you see a, a less experienced, uh, a less renowned author coming up with something like that and getting that past the editor? Yeah. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but even in the IDW stuff that Peter David's done, I haven't seen too many uh, squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was like, um, what is this? This is not Green Lantern. So, uh, which, of course, one of the lanterns is a squirrel, right? Or it looks he like is. a squirrel. He looks like a squirrel. Right. But he's actually an alien from some alien planet that happens to have intelligent rodents. Right? Right. Yeah. What was his name again? Chip. Ch- Chip, yes. Without the I. I, I always pronounced it Chip, but it's C-H apostrophe P. Oh, okay. Okay. Well. And, of course, he made an uh, appearance on Robot Chicken once. Oh, I'm sure he did. Which was pretty good. I was disappointed he didn't make an appearance in the Green Lantern movie. Oh. <laughs> Even if it was just a background character, it would have been nice to see him. Yeah. 
Yeah, like one of the yeah, but I wouldn't want him to have like like a line. I mean, yeah. if that if if the movie was successful, then maybe they could start doing things like that. But like if they had him in the background or something. Sure. Yeah, that would have been good. That would have been cool. Anyways, but uh, but here Peter David has three. I believe their names are Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. <laughs> and uh, they're uh, they're they're just there. Yeah, they're they're there for comic comic relief. So speaking of comic relief, uh, what about old Finnegan? Uh, you know, he had me going, too. Uh, so first off, he, he doesn't look anything like he looked in uh, Shore Leave, I don't think. Which was just a robot version of him. Exactly. So he was all clean-shaven, uh, blonde um, guy uh, on the big side. Um, and but here he's uh, quite a thin, svelte, older man, with uh, yeah. I guess he's gray, right? Yeah, silver-haired, gray, and he's got a dashing, uh, you know, Green Arrow uh, goatee go, kind go of stuff going. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I could see him as a white-haired Green Lantern. I mean, Green Arrow. Right. <laughs> so the look—I was not expecting that look. Mm. I couldn't remember what he looked like, so that that didn't throw me off at all. Yeah, but I actually liked the whole. Uh, I don't remember you, and I'm sorry. I did a lot of questionable things when I was a kid, and right. I I I, I was thinking, well, this is awesome because the cover made it look like he's, you know, this troublemaker prankster, and then you know his introduction, and when you saw him on the planet itself. You know, he seemed like a competent uh, investigator, straight, you know, yeah. straight arrow kind of guy. And you were like, OK, I, I like that the cover made us think one thing and then here he's going to be something else. Right. And then when the hand popped off, I was like, oh, man, I was kind of disappointed. Tell you the truth. <laughs> you were. <laughs> I was because I thought it would have been better to have the cover be completely misleading. Oh, well. So he's definitely a much he he has become a more serious individual in his older age. Uh, advancing years, he's well seasoned, but he still is uh, an irreverent, uh, practical joker. Right, and we'll find out that you know that's to the detriment of his career um, in some dialogue in the next issue. Right, but he doesn't care because as long as he can get a good chuckle out of people, <laughs> that's the important thing. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um... I thought it was very interesting, the big reveal that uh, Captain Bur- Burroughs was taken over, um, basically, by a shapeshifter. Well, we don't know that yet. Well, you can pretty much figure it out. All we know is that Blomker has somehow been duplicated. Well, yeah. Okay. That's fine, but it's kind of obvious. So, well, I mean, okay. I'm talking about just Captain Burroughs. So they see him. They see he's uh, been dead. Uh, they're investigating the area around where his body is, trying to figure out what happened. But obviously, something else was able to impersonate him damn well. And I call that a shapeshifter. Well, they don't say that here, but in that episode where McCoy found him, did mm-hmm. did he say that he'd been dead for a while? Or he's frozen or something? I can't I remember. I don't know. I'd have to go back. But they never say anything they... here about him being dead for a for a while, I mean, because the, the, in here, it acted like he did go out, did his thing, and then came back here and, and was killed by the 
the attack on that planet. Hmm. Do they know that he's that wasn't him, or just, I thought I they, thought they thought did. it was him? Because I thought they, yeah, uh, I thought they did, but mm. maybe well, not. I'd have to go re rereading all the dialogue. We'll know more next issue for sure. Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm very much uh, I, I'm looking forward to at least what they're revealing to the reader. So, and uh, I, I I like the I like the clues that it's continuing to happen, and especially you can see that Burroughs again is the victim of another shapeshifter. So, me as the reader, yes, big reveal in this issue. Pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. So was Blomker the uh, the woman that was frozen in ice there in the the hell episode last week? Remember, there was one woman that was frozen in ice, and Kirk got all up. Oh, right, when they were in hell. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I, I don't think so, but maybe. So yeah. I was what, no, what, what, if that was wasn't she like an ensign or? Uh... Well, anyway, so Bloomker is a security person. Uh, might have been the same person that was frozen in hell. I don't quite know. I thought that was a different person, but maybe it's the same one. Could be. Hmm. Let's see. I actually pulled it up. Okay. It says, yes, that's Ensign Bloomker. Oh, okay. A security guard. Who is she ever a traitor to? Ha ha. Ha ha. So yeah, so in Hail, he was given a uh, a clue that uh, that she's possibly a traitor. That's well, that's cool. That's yeah. very cool. Because they do give you several clues along the way, and then when you realize, oh, shapeshifter, somebody's taken her her place, just like the captain. I think that's pretty cool. Because um, yeah, and, and again, taking the place of uh, Bearclaw. So. I know when Bearclaw went ahead and stabbed Kirk, I wasn't thinking shapeshifter at all. I I'm was thinking, still not. oh, you're still not at this point. No, I, I, I still wasn't thinking shapeshifter yet. Hmm. Okay. The only evidence of a shapeshifter we have is that there's two Blomkers. Yes. Well, how do we get two Blomkers? Cloning. Androids. <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, so maybe things start occurring to you. Maybe they don't at this point. I don't know, but it occurred to me. Um, Another thing I found interesting is uh, I thought that Finnegan and his his partner, I mean, it it struck me as almost an X-Files kind of thing. So uh, Scully and Mulder, uh, but in this case, uh, Finnegan... And uh, what's her name? Uh, la, 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 la. Heather Heather it. Van Horn. Okay. So, you know, I think you get more of it in the next issue, but I I got a, a Scully and Mulder vibe from that. I could see that, and she's not Federation, which is interesting, right? Or at least she's not dressed like Federation. So right. I would agree with you. So she's more like an independent uh, investigator, and that whole idea of introducing this uh, in investigation wing to do things like this, I think that's very interesting. So what do they call them again? Maybe they talk about it more in the next one, but 
Starfleet or or a federation. It's a federation entity, I think. Uh, it is called the Federation Security League. Oh yeah, okay. So the name's kind of weak. I mean, it sounds like a superhero thing. What do you mean league? What? What? But <laughs> I I do like the I. It's like an investigation group within uh within right. the Federation yeah, slash like Starfleet. It. I like it. It's kind of like an FBI type. Right. Yeah. So it's almost like Section 31 without the spy stuff. Right. This predates Section 31. So right. there you go. Yeah, so but maybe, th- this, maybe maybe some retconning, we can say Finnegan was Section 31. Oh, maybe he could have been. Who knows? Ooh, ooh, but ooh, I, like it. I, I do like how they, this is kind of like a backdoor um, pilot. Yeah. No, I, mean, I liked they, it a lot. They, they, I like that part. There could be multiple adventures where these two are uh, investigating things in the Star Trek universe. Oh, man, Peter David, do it. <laughs> <laughs> do yeah. like a miniseries of, uh, on IDW of, yeah, at of them investigating mysteries and stuff there you go. Uh, in the universe. I think, And there'd be a lot of weird stuff out there, wouldn't it? Right. And the idea of having a shapeshifter. I mean, didn't they do a shapeshifter episode in, uh, or two? In X-Files at one point or another? I didn't watch a lot of X-Files, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. X-Files was really good. Really dug it. Well, I think they did some. I, I, I think they did a shape-shifting episode. Most shows do. So yeah. if, they're, if, it's if it's sci-fi, related, yeah. you've gotten shapeshifters or cloning so that you can do the whole, which one's the real one? Exactly. At least an evil twin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need your evil twin episode. Right, you can even do the evil twin episode on Bewitched and Family Guy and everything. Or not Family Guy, Family Matters or whatever. Exactly. It doesn't even have to be sci-fi. <laughs> or even lore and data. My God. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine was talking about uh, identical twins. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I've, I noticed that adult identical twins don't usually look exactly alike. And I'm like, hey. Watching TV has taught me anything. It's that they are exactly alike, and one of them's usually evil. <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, well, in regards to their investigation here on this planet, which which I could never find the name for, so I don't remember what it's called. But uh, the Federation crew that's there is is kind of a motley crew, including another Klingon Federation officer. Oh, hmm. let me go back to that. Yeah, the very first page shows a Klingon Federation officer oh, yeah. picking up some rocks. And I you was know, like, I thought it was Conum. I was well, like, that's oh, what I thought, Enterprise too. Is here. No, that's not. what I thought, too. But that's... they've moved on already. Because yeah. he does kind of look like Conum, doesn't he? Right. And and the woman to his right, she almost looks like Uhura. Yep, I thought it was, too. Hmm. But that was a totally different team uh, of investigators. Right. Not Enterprise crew. The Enterprise shows up later, and Conum's still on the... He never leaves the Enterprise. Right. Right, and when I was just thumbing through the book before I actually started reading it, there's there's a guy that looks like Oryx on page two, along with uh, Dog Boy, who we've seen on the uh, night shift on the Enterprise. So I, I thought... I was surprised when it came out that the Enterprise wasn't already there. So was the artist a little confused, or what? Well, uh, for the Conum Klingon thing, it has to be confused. Yeah, the rest you can kind of chalk up to, you know, Arx is not the only guy, and exactly of that species. One, 
dog boy in Federation. Why can't there be two? But since they make such a big deal about Conan being the only Klingon, right? That's the that's the mistake. Yep. And then I thought it was weird that uh, one of the guys that came from the Federation is like a a bull guy. He has giant horns and stuff. I've never seen that species before. Neither have I. That was unusual. But hey, if you want to build your uh, aliens to have animal properties of of Earth animals, there you go. Why not bullhorns? Right. So in this issue, we got a bull guy, chipmunk guys, a dog guy. <laughs> We're covering all the bases. Yeah. We don't have that bird guy from uh, Spock's ship. but uh... You know, in a lot of ways when they do that, that almost seems to me to be like kind of lazy alien design. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hate to say that. But it is kind of. Right. I, um, I like it when they have, they may have a trait or something like that. You right. Know, you know, some sort of avian feature or some yeah. sort of reptilian feature, but not just dog guy body with a, with a dog face. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like a bloodhound or something. I mean, that, right. that wasn't a lot of thought put into that one. Right. Yeah. Heck, I even like the chipmunks better than the dog guy and the bull guy, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even the outfit they put two out of the three in it's like that's Alvin and the chipmunk time <laughs> there's just no two ways about that right well so as far as Bearclaw uh, claiming his innocence I mm-hmm. uh, I mean I, I was still wondering if this if, if him not remembering it had something to do with their experience and inhale the the previous issue so uh i was surprised that they don't ever even reference the uh the circumstances that was going on at the time of the supposed murder i mean there was a lot of stuff going on at that time right so uh you know i i just i was still thinking maybe he really did do it and he just doesn't remember because of because of all that stuff Hmm. and then uh so I liked I liked uh, what was going on here with uh, with everybody. Oh, he did it for sure. And then she's Sherwood's the only one that's yeah. Thinking. Well, until the end, I was thinking Sherwood. What are you, an idiot? Of course he did it. Of course he did it. What's the deal? I mean, they had me going, my friend. Yeah, I, I knew that it wasn't going to be as cut and dry, but I was yeah. still thinking that maybe he did it and didn't know he did it or something like that. Well, I mean, we I think we both said it wasn't going to be as cut and dry just because of the fact they got to do an, a whole issue. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, you know, and then you said there was two issues. I was like, oh, well, there's got to be a lot more to this. But still, he looks so guilty. Right. It doesn't help that he's like beating up his martial arts um instructor yeah. when he's when he's getting arrested so well he's a jerk he is a jerk i don't like him no just put him in the airlock and open the door oh you can't do that but you can get rid of him and have him be a problem on another ship mm. just like that gremlin that scotty put on that buoy somewhere i mean oh you didn't right really solve the problem all no. you did is give it to somebody else yeah and it's and it was a federation buoy right so right. Somebody's going to go back there eventually. 
Right, and that's what I'm saying about Bear Claw. Yep. Eventually, you just put him on a different ship, he's going to stab somebody else. Well, Air that was before. Well, that was before. Well, no, I mean, that was before the stabbing. The stabbing was a whole new level of, uh, of. Right. Oh no, he didn't. Can we talk about the renaming of the hybrid kid? Oh yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever the heck that is. Right. So yeah. he called himself Moron, which which I never really liked, but no, that that was his name, and then, uh, Bryce. Ends up giving him her dad's name. Yeah. Bernie. Yeah. So, Conum try, tries to think about all these Klingon, these manly Klingon names to uh, bestow upon him. Because he's, I mean, he looks like a Klingon. I mean, he looks more Klingon than human. So, um, I mean, he really should have a Klingon name, in my opinion. Not a human name, but whatever. And then, uh, and then Bryce says, I mean, Conum also agrees. Klingon names don't really seem to fit him very well. But Bernie? I don't know. That's a little uh that's a little too human cute. Right. But it was her dad's name. Yeah. So. Beats Moron. Yeah, <laughs> beats Moron, that's for sure. So Alright, what else you got? Well, uh last thing I want to say is I'm happy that Kirk says he's gonna get Finnegan for the prank he pulled on him, you know, the hand thing. Oh, right. So, uh, you know, uh, like Finnegan would say in reaction, that's the spirit, Jimmy, my boy. <laughs> so I like that. And not to spoil anything, but do you like what he does to get back at it? Well, should I comment on that in the next one? Nah, we'll wait. Okay. I mean, yes, yes, let's wait. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else? That's it. All right, let's see how this story wraps up. Okay, so this one's titled Finnegan's Wake, and this is, of course, issue number 55. The uh, published date is October 1988. Um, all the same people are involved in producing it, so I'm not going to repeat them. The rather standard cover features Spock, Kirk, and McCoy in a transporter beam that seems to be materializing them into orbit around a planet. How long will they survive in space? No wonder Kirk is not smiling. The Enterprise is also on the cover in orbit around uh, the light purple-slash-pink uh, planet. It's really kind of a meh cover. It's an okay cover, but kind of generic. Chekhov is escorting investigators Finnegan and Heather Van Horn to interview the attempted murderer, Bearclaw. Chekhov makes it clear he thinks it's an open and shut case that Bearclaw is guilty. Van Horn states the real world is seldom open and shut. When they arrive in Bearclaw's cell, he is asleep and dreaming about his upcoming trial. Kirk has a wig and robes of a judge on, with most of the Enterprise senior staff in the jury box. They are, they are all jeering at Bearclaw and shouting, Guilty! Guilty! They wake him up, and the interview uh, by Finnegan and Van Horn begins. Thirty minutes later, they emerge, and Van Horn says Bearclaw did not do it. She apparently has some telepathic abilities that she is basing her assessment on. Chekhov and two security people don't believe it one bit. Blomker, in particular, calls them useless bureaucrats and paper pushers. 
Again, Finnegan wonders where he saw Bloomker before. She is so familiar, and yet... Kirk is out of bed, and into an anti-grav chair that he uses to get around the ship. Against doctor's orders. He needs to be in bed, recuperating, not gallivanting around the ship, setting up practical jokes to get back at Finnegan. Meanwhile, Bernie, formerly Moron, hears from Conom, Nancy, and Liz that Bear Claw does not have a friend aboard the ship. He leaves them to correct that situation. Meanwhile, another part of the ship, Investigator Van Horn has a conversation with Spock, making the case for Bear Claw's innocence. Spock is a believer after a mind meld. He says he will speak to the captain. Bernie shows up at Bearclaw's cell, and to annoy Bearclaw, the guards, guards actually let him in. Bernie explains how he heard Bearclaw no longer has any friends aboard the ship. Bernie orders, offers to be his friend. After some discomfort, Bearclaw, the great hater of Klingons, agrees to be friends with the odd little hombre. He calls them both outcasts. Kirk arrives at Bearclaw's cell in time to see him and begins to rethink what he thinks of Bearclaw. Meanwhile, Finnegan figures out he saw Blomker's dead body on Omicron SETI-4. She can't be alive on the Enterprise, so Finnegan begins to search for known shapeshifters or anything that could be impersonating her. He finds a match but says he disappeared over a year ago. Finnegan goes to confront the Bloomker imposter and ends up on the losing end of a firefight. Rather than finishing him off, Bloomker decides to leave him alive and kill Kirk disguised as Finnegan. Spock is speaking to Kirk as they walk and fly down a hall. The fake Finnegan walks up to Kirk as Spock finishes his business and leaves them to talk. Kirk gets out of the anti-grab chair to get some walking in while McCoy is not around. Finnegan pulls a knife out of his boot while Kirk's back is turned. Kirk springs his trap, and a spring-loaded boxing glove comes out of nowhere, literally, to hit Finnegan in the face. The practical joke trap has been sprung. Finnegan falls back, unable to maintain his concentration. His physical form changes into Garth, the former Starfleet hero who went insane and in his travels learned the art of cellular metamorphosis. Garth gathers himself and attacks Kirk with the knife. Kirk puts up the best defense uh, given his injuries, but finds it's not enough. On the ground with Garth on top of him, he is barely able to avoid a descending knife blade. Luckily, a strong hand clamps down on Garth's shoulder that robs him of his consciousness. It's Spock, who had a few more salient points to make with the captain, and good thing he did. Later, the real Finnegan explains how Garth escaped custody about a year ago. They assumed in deep space. Kirk releases Bearclaw from his cell and says Kirk has forgotten about the transfer. Kirk warns Bearclaw not to remind him of it again by acting like a big dumb jerk again. Later still, Kirk and Finnegan have a very public arm wrestling competition that Kirk wins despite his injuries. Kirk feels pretty good about himself until Finnegan beats the burly Scotty next. Finnegan let 
Kirk win? That. Finnegan and Van Horn bid adieu and leave for the transporter room. Kirk calls Finnegan a Denebian slime devil, but acknowledges that Finnegan got him again and got him last. McCoy orders Kirk to sickbay after his recent exertions. Feeling his oats, McCoy tells everyone to get back to their posts. Who the devil is running this ship anyway? While they're all there gawking at a wrestling competition. Finding himself alone in the ship's lounge, McCoy is pleased that again he has had the last word. The end. Hmm. Garth is master of the universe. <laughs> well... Not in Star Trek, but yes, no, Garth. No. Oh. In that movie, in that movie, in that episode, he kept referring to himself as Master of the Universe. Oh, okay, okay. I I, I had never seen it before, or at least mm-hmm. I did not recall it at all. Yep. So after reading this, I I watched it, and it was quite good. Yeah. So whom gods destroys the episode? Taz. Season three. There you go. Oh, that great season three, and <laughs> um, he he called himself. They refer to him here too. Or, well, anyway, so he's he refers to himself Garth of Izar, right? And in yeah, in the in the TV episode, I'm not sure that they mentioned that in the uh, in the comic. They probably didn't. So, um, yeah, so Prison Break from the Elba Two Asylum. So a human that learned the talent of cellular metamorphosis. He was a decorated Starfleet hero. Who rose yep. to the who rose to the rank of fleet captain and supposedly the battle of Axanar. Exactly. So he had a pivotal role in the victory at Axanar. So I got to ask you. So Axanar, I do not remember Axanar being mentioned in the original Taz series, but maybe they did in this episode. I in don't that know. Episode, yes, they did. Okay, so they did. They mentioned it in that episode. Okay, and they and they say that uh, it happened fifteen years before that episode. So. That means that that would be the events of Axanar must have happened, you know, uh, what, about 13, 12 years before the original series started. Right. Which is right where they're putting Discovery. Yes. Yes. So at that time period, Axanar, what that fan film was putting forward, because I've only seen the preview, because that's the only thing that's been allowed to be made. And by the way, what a wonderful preview. Um, and that was also to generate money, funding, mm-hmm. crowdfunding for the, for the movie. So it was pretty long. Well, probably everybody's watched it. Um, but that was really cool. And it really looks like, at least what they showed, was a really dark time for the Federation. Right. Yeah. The big battles between the Klingons. Right. So I almost thought it was longer ago than 15 years. But, eh, okay. Cool. Well, according to the episode, it was 15 years. Right. And then he became fleet captain, and then he had some sort of accident or something, and some uh, some aliens kept him from dying, but he, he went crazy and tried to kill them all. Right. Yeah. Well, according to this, the, the issue, he did kill them all. Or, uh, no, actually, the article I read in, um, in uh, Beta. Hmm. Well, in the, in the episode, it said that he tried to kill them all, and then his uh, crew mutinied and uh, took command from him. Right. 
and he ended up being sent to that insane asylum. Okay. Well. With the last 15 criminally insane people in the universe. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure that the uh, Memory Alpha article I saw made it sound like he killed them all, but whatever. So I suppose in the Axanar preview, uh, Garth was one of the characters. Yeah, I kind of want to go back and rewatch it and see exactly. if he's that little skinny guy that talked about seeing the Enterprise and stuff like that. Right. No, it was cool. I, I, I to, like I said, I did not remember that episode at all. And Yvonne Craig's in it, who who is Batgirl from mm-hmm. the '66 Batman. So yep. I knew she was in an episode, but uh, I, I guess I had never seen her, that episode where she played the Orion, uh, also criminally insane woman. Mm-hmm. Yep. So like the episode, some really great overacting by <laughs> by Shatner. <laughs> When and it's weird because it's when it's when he's disguised as Shatner, but he's doing this like little three year old temper tantrum thing, and it's just hilarious. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I haven't seen that episode in a long time, but uh, I don't re- I, I, I don't remember it being that good. Well, what made it good was uh, that guy, man, who the who actor plays Garth. Man, right. he is fantastic. He is yeah. a total nut job. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, and it's dark too because he murders people. I mean, I I don't want to spoil too much if you haven't seen it, but you know, usually the bad guys like, hey, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill this person. And mm-hmm. here he's like, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill you like I'm doing this person. And then he kills him, and I'm like, dang, it's not even a joke. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, crazy. I, I was really impressed. I thought it was good. Yeah. Much better than what I usually associate with uh, third, third season. season. Yeah. Yep. The only thing I didn't like is, and it's the same thing here, it doesn't explain how he's able to change his body. No. No, it doesn't. It it, it, it relies on your uh, experience seeing the original series episode. And, and, it, and it does refer to the, um, to the label cellular metamorphosis or something. So that's another way to to get people to believe it when you have a uh, a reasonable sounding uh, label to put on it. <laughs> but, right. but still, yeah. Haven't we seen that in a comic book not too long ago? Somebody that was able to to just change their their looks. Um, well, yeah, but but I don't remember. I, I didn't think that was a human though. And and the idea that Garth could just learn it, you know, without some kind of a physical augmentation seems kind of unlikely. So on Matt, it was that Maggie's world episode issue. I think. Okay. Wasn't there somebody? Oh yeah, there was somehow, uh, yeah, there was somebody. And it was like a human that somehow was able to do it without any explanation. Oh, that was a human. Okay. I thought so. I don't know. Okay. I need to go back and read it. Could it have been Garth all the time? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't remember them mentioning Garth. So right, you, you're saying it was Garth, but they never said. Peter David was playing the long game where he was just like, I'm not going to tell him who this guy is until we're getting canceled. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Maybe, maybe. Anyways. Um, so, yeah, I don't like that explanation that he's just able to learn it somehow. Yeah. And uh, it's also inconsistent on, um, I mean, while that woman was naked 
the dead the dead woman on the planet. He, yep. he stole her uniform in that scenario. Yeah, well, and but that in every makes other sense. Scenario and and in the TV show, he can change his clothes too, just by yeah, which is thinking about it, which is BS. Right. So I that that I don't like that. Actually, I liked it when they found her naked because it meant that he could only impersonate the physicality of the body, right. not the clothes, which makes so much more sense. It's incredible. But they didn't stick with that. They should have stuck with that. Right, right. And then he could have uh, taken Finnegan's clothes and whatever. Right. So. And then um, why is it that he looks so different here? I mean, he makes a little comment, a few more wrinkles, a little less hair. But, I mean, he has no hair now, and uh, oh. he looks nothing like he no. did in the episode. He looks nothing like that uh, that actor. Actually, he looks more like some... You know, some bad guy out of a Gold Key comic. Yeah, looks like the Gold Key Lex Luthor. Yes, exactly, right. The, the generic Lex Luthor style um, villain. Right. Yeah. yeah, like I said, I watched that episode. I was so impressed with that actor. I looked him up to see, you know, what else he's done. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, ton ton of TV shows. Yeah. And then uh, he died in 1972, only 37 oh, really? years old. Oh, wow. Hm. Yeah. So, sad. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I, I don't remember seeing him in a. I mean, he. I know I saw him more than just Star Trek, but I would be hard pressed to say where. And right. What. Yeah, it looked like he was just in a ton of just random TV shows episodes here and there. Yeah, like Yvonne Craig, she was in everything. At one point or another. Right. Man from Uncle. Oh, Elvis, really? Elvis Presley movies, Kissing Cousins. Kissing Cousins. Um. Batman, of course. Yeah, she was she in a lot was in of Batman? stuff. Funny, funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, I really hate that she passed away before they started making that uh, the Batman animated movie oh, revival. Yeah, right. She could have been in that. She could have been in it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so back to this issue. Um, I did not like the the sucker punch. Uh, <laughs> The punching glove in the door thing, it seemed a little cartoony. Well, and they didn't really fully explain where it came from. Because, yeah, so all they show is, for those of you that may not have the comic, they just showed the old-fashioned 50s punching glove, brown and bulbous, uh, on some kind of a mechanical contraption, uh, like very... Very old-fashioned 30s, 40s, whatever. Looks and like it's a spring. Yeah. Well, kind of, yeah. And they, but they don't show where it's coming from, which is probably good since it would have been difficult to really do that. I was thinking, did it, did it come from the doorway? Did it come from the, the hover chair? It was hard to know. No, I think it was the door because it, there's that episode or the, the panels earlier where Kirk's like shutting the door and – McCoy is giving him a hard time about how childish he's doing. Yeah. And he he somehow rigs up the door so that uh, he'll get back at Finnegan. And then as soon as this door opens, that's when the punch bag pops out and gets him. Well, But it seemed like it was his door. That's what I didn't understand. It was like, is it – is he rigging up his own quarters to get Finnegan back? I was confused. Yeah, and if he's getting up to walk, I mean he's walking into his quarters. That's it? I mean, it was, he was making it sound like he was going to walk a ways. 
Right. And if it isn't his quarters, then how did he know where to set it up? Where where Finnegan just so happened to come up to him in the hallway. Anyway, right. you, you don't want to worry about too much of this stuff. <laughs> right. It's kind, of, it's kind of like the kind of well, things you don't want to think about when you're watching episodes of Hogan's Heroes or something. It's like, how could they figure all that? At? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Good old Hogan. Hogan. And always got the plan where everything works out just perfectly. Anyway. So I, I like seeing uh, Lieutenant... Lieutenant Narat. Uh, which one is he? He's the Horda. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, in that hallway scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> now, at least he looks more like a Horda and less like a Mr. Potato Head. I did like how they uh, were referencing other episodes where mm-hmm. there was a mistaken identity. Uh, I thought that was that was kind of kind of cool. Yeah. It was like, what were the other ones? It was the Horda episode, the... Um, the body switching episode uh, with the um, over the woman. the woman that last episode. Yeah, and I thought there was another one that they talked about. Uh, I'd have to look for the page. I don't remember. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, here's a nit. I thought it was interesting how they were using both Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock style hand phasers in these issues. So at one point, Chekhov is using a Search for Spock phaser. One that looks a little bit more like a traditional phaser, but still is from the movies. Mm-hmm. And then definitely in the uh, the gunfight between uh, Finnegan and Blomker, they've got Wrath of Khan uh, phasers. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you don't just throw out the old phasers. They don't. It's not like milk. It doesn't go bad. <laughs> well, they did in the movies. I mean, did you ever see them use this, you know... Did you ever see any tra- transitional stuff in the movies? Just because we didn't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Okay, yeah. but you'll remember, too, that those movies were back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Right. Yeah. And all yep. of a sudden, ping, everybody has new phasers. Yeah, shouldn't make, that's, that doesn't make sense. I know. I, I'm fine with a little bit of mixture at the transition points. So the timing of this... Is that the transition point between uh, Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock? No, it's well after that. Well, that's what I thought. So, I mean, at a transition point, if you see both of them, that makes sense. But way later, I, I'm kind of surprised to see them both used. But mm. whatever. Well, since we're talking about artistic... Uh, inconsistencies mm-hmm. so uh, that Finnegan is one manly dude isn't he uh, oh with the with the wrestling arm wrestling yeah so yeah. last issue he had a goatee and then in this issue when he's oh the, the arm full beard he has a full Santa beard <laughs> good point good point <laughs> so not only can he arm wrestle even the great Scotsman he could just sit there and grow out a beard by sheer will. Yeah. Yeah, at the beginning when he's walking with Chekhov and stuff uh, to do the interview of Bearclaw, he's got the full beard. That's funny. Right. So at the ver- he was there at the tail end of the previous issue. So they just decided to go with a different facial style, facial yeah. hairstyle. Hmm. It's just like, yeah, give him... Fill out that beard. 
Exactly. Oh, that's funny. I did not notice that. Good catch. I did not notice that. And then I didn't I didn't really care for the whole McCoy. Well, at least I got the last word. Again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you're just using the same you know, the same little joke again. All right. Which was like, eh. Eh. Me. And that's my last comment on this issue. What else you got? I got nothing else, man. Nothing else. I thought it was so, good. I, I liked the story. I liked how there was a mystery that was leading up from pre- previous issues. And, uh, you know, there were a few things that are kind of wacky about it, but, you know, that's fine. Right. Yep. And then, um, you know, just, just on a sad note, I mean, the, the next issue is kind of a filler issue that, that Peter David had nothing to do with. And mm-hmm. it and really, boy, can like you it, tell. <laughs> really feels like it's one that, that was just on the shelf and, they uh, they just slapped it in at the end because they didn't have anything else. Uh, right. Uh, but, man, it, so it's kind of sad that this is the last time we'll ever see Bearclaw, Bryce, Conum, yep. um, Bernie. Oh, Bernie. Um, and then, really, Oryx and Mares, too. I mean, they do show up in Star Trek Year One by uh, – or Year Four from uh, DC – or IADW Comics, mm-hmm. but – that's but in the DC it, comics, that's it. This is it. This is the last time we see them. Yeah. Well, th- this is the spot. This is this the spot where supposedly Roddenberry and Paramount were not crazy about all these extra characters. They wanted to get back to the original characters, and that's why we're not seeing yep. any of these people. Right. Yeah. In volume two. That, that, that's what I've always heard is that they didn't like all the secondary characters, and they needed to just have the the cast from the movies. Right. And nothing more. Okay. Well, they got it. And, you know, not seeing Bearclaw again is fine with me. It's just that he does generate some interesting conflict, at least. Right. Just wish they would have, you know, if he really would have had some character growth. Because he was a jerk when we saw him in issue one. And he's a jerk now that just happened to get away with murder. Or he didn't do the murder. But, I mean, I don't know. He, he just never really developed as as – he never expanded upon what he was originally just written as yeah i mean he did a few nice things yeah he's he's changing a little but his the pace of change into somebody that actually you could like root for is very slow painfully slow yeah and he always takes these horrible steps backwards so yeah when that andorian was leaving he's like oh here's here's the number of my uncle that can help you out and then in the next issue he's kicking conum in the teeth right uh, when he's down on the ground, so it's just like, man, I, you never liked him. No, and, the, and that's sad. That uh, yeah. you know took fifty six issues, but you could never make that character at least somewhat likable, right? So, and you know that's that completely goes against supposedly the Rod, Roddenberry mantra, which I am reminded of even more. I, I think I mentioned this before, but there's an audio book for. Um, Sitting on the Edge of Forever. I think I've mentioned even maybe even the last issue. But there it really talks about the edict and what a pain it is with the authors. The people that come on to write for the TV show, even, you know, Deep Space Nine and, and Next Gen, uh, how they're like in a straitjacket. You know, all of our Starfleet people are perfect. Uh, everybody gets along together. 
it's always, you know, the Earth slash Federation Starfleet correcting the aliens. They're the ones with all the problems. Not us. We're perfect. I think they got away from that a little bit in Deep Space Nine. Well, I think they got away from it a bit in uh, Voyager, too. But definitely it was in full force in Taws. Um, and Next Generation. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Anyway, but it's one of the things we kind of like about it, too. I mean, I, Sure. Yeah, you, but want I, a, I, you want a nice future. You don't want it to be crap. Well, yeah. But really, there's still people. So. Yeah. Oh, did, did I mention this last time? But a big thing about Harlan Ellison's original uh, City on the Edge of Forever is it isn't Kirk that lets Edith Keeler die. It's actually um, Spock's intervention that uh, keeps Keeler from being saved. In the original? In the original script. So it really is Kirk who would have given up the universe he knows for the love of Edith Keeler, which is really interesting and kind of underscores the idea that we're people, they're people, these characters, and they can be fallible and they can be motivated by love to the point of maybe compromising their loyalties. Um, but none of that's going to be, none of that's allowed. Mm. Um, so anyway, that original script is really interesting. Cool. Yeah. I would have to give it a listen or read it one of these days. Yes, you should. Okay. So shall we move on to the third and final one? Yeah. And speaking of, you know, not quite falling in line with what we're used to seeing in the Star Trek book, mm-hmm. this one is entitled A Small Matter of Faith. Yes. Faith. There are religious themes in this. Which is very unstar Trekian. Yes, it is. Only very few. But there was a Voyager episode that definitely talked about religion. And then, of course, Deep Space Nine with uh, Kira and company and her right. people. Right. All right. So this one is not written by Peter David. It is written by Martin Pasco. And then Gary Murrow is the guest artist. Michelle Wolfman is still the colorist. Tim Harkins is the letterer, and Robert Greenberger is the editor. So the uh, cover has the caption from the first to five-year mission. And it shows the TV-era Enterprise crew with their headshots above a classic Enterprise NCC-1701. So the story starts with McCoy uh, trying to keep 15 men and women alive who were recently injured aboard the USS Defiant. So this could mean that this takes place somehow after the Tholian Web episode, which, as you recall, uh, showed the Defiant being taken into another dimension, or this could happen before, or just could be a completely different Defiant. We don't know. So anyways, uh, McCoy is angered that Kirk is taking a side trip to drop off some supplies to a nearby outpost instead of traveling directly to the star base in order to save the Defiance crew from some radiation poisoning. Kirk and Spock assure the good doctor that they will be able to drop off the supplies and make it to the star base within the 24 hours that uh, McCoy has given uh, as the, the, the time that these people have left on to be alive. 
So still cutting it close in my case. So the ship arrives to the outpost and they beam up a human woman. Once materialized, she stuns the transporter crew and then beams up a man in an armored suit, another man in a wheelchair, and then a Federation doctor of some unknown species. Humanoid, very pale, bald head. The newcomers are able to stun or incapacitate the entire ship. The newly arrived doctor identifies himself as Inla and tells Kirk that they will be tri- traveling to Caledon. It is a holy place where a mysterious, ghostly woman arrives and heals the people there. Enlaw himself used to be a spiritual leader, but he fears that his divine healing powers have left him and he needs to heal the three people that he came with on the planet. We also hear that Enlaw was a baby of some unknown species found alone on a planet. He was raised within a religious community and became a Starfleet chaplain. McCoy cannot believe that anyone would believe in this religious mumbo-jumbo. En route, Kirk's injured arm is healed by in-law's touch, and a coup to fight back has failed. Now Kirk thinks that going to Caledon might actually be possible to heal the Defiance crew, and also the three people that in-law came with. When they arrive at Caledon, Kirk has to stun a huge group of onlookers at the Holy Mountain. Once they are stunned from orbit, the crew beam down the injured people. Once In-Law arrives, the ghostly woman appears and the two actually merge. It seems that In-Law was actually part of this being all along. Once merged, a bright light shines out and everyone on the planet is miraculously healed. And the mysterious woman and in-law are gone. McCoy ends the story uh, talking about how his father used to be a preacher. And McCoy always rejected the spiritual life. And then it ends with him telling Kirk that he's going to visit the chapel. The end. So McCoy, it sounds like he's got his, uh, maybe a little bit of his belief back. Right. So, that's kind of, that's good. So... Okay, so definitely a religious theme, but a very muddled, religion. very muddled. I agree. So what? What? So what are they saying that that this ex Starfleet chaplain uh, was a god or the Enlaz religion? I don't, I don't understand. I just don't understand. There is a lot to not understand. Yeah, I, I don't think, as far as Enla is concerned, I don't think there's any religion involved at all. I mean, he was a religi- religious person, obviously, there. But when he's getting together with this opposite number, this female other person, probably of his own species, right. um, they're throwing off, I guess, waves of healing power, whatever. <laughs> but is that necessarily religion or or no 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 evidence of god you know i, yes, I don't think why, so but why, why mccoy's like i'm going to go to church now yeah no it doesn't make sense yeah so yeah so so how did he get religion <laughs> just because of this event i mean okay so definitely during the story mccoy wasn't believing any of it he needed to get to what the starbase or whatever, or to get that medicine to save these people. Right. Um, 
And he wasn't having any of the the religious mumbo-jumbo. But then why did he get the religious mumbo-jumbo when an event happened that, though was extraordinary, isn't necessarily evidence of divine intervention? Right. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Mm. Yeah, and the timing of the whole thing doesn't make sense. So uh, this this mysterious woman, whatever she is, you know, they, they refer to her as almost being like the – the Virgin Mary's appearance and like oh. uh, Fatima and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which, right. Yeah. Yeah. They really? actually call that out. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So she's, but they said she's been doing this for like 300 years, uh, which would predate earth being, you know, space bound. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so and so how old is this in-law guy? Has he been around for 300 years too? And she keeps appearing to, Try to find this other part of her, or or what's going on, or did two hundred fifty years after her appearance, he suddenly came into being on some random planet somewhere out in the cosmos? Yeah, man, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I can see how they had this the the script uh, this this the, for the comic book, and they're going, you know what? I don't know if we want to rush into this one. <laughs> Right. Uh, so maybe Peter David was getting a lot of flack for all the characters from Paramount, whatever. And maybe they started renegotiating, whatever. And either he decided, I'm not going to give you any more scripts. Or maybe they decided not to have any more scripts because he was pissing off uh, Paramount that much. I don't know. But um, this isn't that good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's an odd one. Yeah. So, I just wish it made sense. I mean, right from the beginning, I'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on, and I, I never, I never like found my f- footing. You know, I always felt like, like this was just off the rails, and I could not follow it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I I didn't talk about it in the in the synopsis, uh, mainly because I didn't really understand it. Um. So the ship, when when that woman beams up to the ship. In the beginning, mm-hmm. um, she beams everybody else up, and then somehow the ship's attacked by a, a beam or something from from the surface that somehow immobilizes the ship. But then they just go around the ship, shooting everybody and doing something with the air vents. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Were you following any of that? No, not okay. really. Yeah, there weren't many of them, and the one guy's, like, bound in a wheelchair kind of thing. You know, right. Pike kind of thing. Uh, and it's like, just, uh, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And on page six, there's a panel that shows these people just walking near an air vent. Yeah. And then the next panel shows the air vent kind of off its hinges. Right. And everybody falling over, so. Yeah. Like an anesthesine gas or something. Yeah, but why would it knock the air vents off? Yeah, I don't know. It never did before. I was really confused. Yeah. Yeah, the whole, this whole thing was just like, man, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Who are these people? What's going on? How are they able to take over the ship so easily? Yeah. Yeah, and what was the beam from the planet? Because I don't know, man. The only thing I thought it had going for it was they talk about Elba 2. 
at the beginning. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Elba too, I know that one because I just saw that episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only place where they put crazy people in the whole galaxy. That's it. Because, of course, there is nobody criminally insane except for very few people because they can rehabilitate everybody. Right. Except for a few people that are really yeah. hardcore. Even at the end of that episode, they were rehabilitated because that was the reason Kirk was there is to give them some new drug that was going to fix the last 14 crazy people in the universe. Yeah, right. So, anywho. So I thought when Enlai and the female opposite number came together and everything was like sparkly and, and lots of light, it reminded me of Decker and Elia. Decker. Yep, yep. Elia uh, in Star Trek, the motion picture. I thought the same thing. Right. And then the whole like quasi religious stuff I kept thinking of Star Trek Five. I was like, okay, Oh <laughs> here they're going off to find some mystical holy land and then right. in Star Trek Five they go off to find God himself. So yep. uh a little similarities there. Yep. Did you understand why when they beam down to the planet, you know, there's like a whole like bizarre type thing going on. There's people like selling knickknacks and stuff and then Kirk's like Everybody get out of the way. And then they don't. So then he's just like, shoot them from the sky. (laughs) (laughs) I did not understand that. Yeah. It's like they were trying to clear off room to beam the people down. But But it just, the whole thing was ridiculous, quite frankly. I'll be honest. It reminded me a lot of gold key. Yeah. It, It seemed like a gold key type thing with just kind of thrown together right haphazard and didn't yeah. really feel like they had to explain anything and just yeah. yeah and then you're just gonna shoot stuff from the sky and shoot have something from the ground shoot the enterprise right and then here's the topper uh-huh. of why it reminded me of gold key look at page 20 in the bottom corner when kirk says ashes to ashes dust to dust he's wearing the famous gold key backpack oh it's a big looks like a ice cooler type thing on his back that's not on his back the guy in the red is that's it that's something the guy the the red shirt you know that the red shirt guy has that it's something he's dealing with it does look like it looks like a backpack but kirk isn't wearing a backpack that's the security guy's doing something with it no it's a backpack well it's the gold key backpack the fa- the famous black gold key backpack. Yeah, don't take this away from me. <laughs> okay, it's a backpack that's shaped like a igloo cooler. <laughs> oh, all right. My last comment, and I mentioned it in the synopsis, but this is the crew of the Defiant. Is it? So, is this supposed to be take place after the Tholian Web episode? Okay, so here's the deal. If you take a look at the first page of this thing, uh huh. It says, presenting a special story from Captain Kirk's first, well, okay, first five-year mission. I took that as being like, it was one of his first missions. Um, I thought it was just their explanation as to why they're suddenly wearing gold shirts. uh, We got to really drive it home that this is a long time ago. Okay. I I took it as being the first mission. But no, it's the first, did he have more than one five-year mission? I mean, he had... They didn't have any time period on the later ones when he well, took so, over the ship, did they? Supposedly, in between Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek Two, that's his second five-year mission. But, okay. Uh, okay, whatever. 
I never liked that whole – I mean, if you're going to have a five-year mission where you're going to be, like, going out there on the fringe of things and you're pretty much not coming home, okay, fine. But, you know, they were back and forth all the time. Right. I mean, and even in the new movies, um, it's more like they were hanging around Earth in the first the, the, the first one and then kind of the bit of the bit of the second one. Now I guess they were off on their – but they hadn't quite gotten to the five-year mission until the end of the second movie, right? right? Yep. Right. Okay. <sighs> Whatever. Okay, so I, I, I misinterpreted the front of this. But yeah, time-wise, um, it must be before um, Tholian Webb. So did they save anybody from that episode? From the Defiant? I can't remember. I, they were all dead, right? Uh, I don't think they found anybody on the ship. That's what I thought. Alive. Yeah. Because Kirk I don't think beams so. over there and gets stuck, right? Or right. Am I, am I no, he, no, he gets stuck. Yeah, okay. He's so, kind yeah, of so. in that same interdimensional whatever. So this must have before that. Yeah. So somehow the Defiant got irradiated, and the Enterprise has to take these 15 people to the Starbase because right. they the Defiance off somewhere else, maybe getting sucked into the Tholian web. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't think so, but... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, something I found interesting, a little bit inconsistent, is um, the McCoy story about his preacher father. Okay. So in here, he's talking about his uh, preacher father, um, who would not take any kind of treatment. He right. wouldn't take it because he was very religious and he thought any kind of technology, I guess, even medical technology, was an affront was an anti God or whatever. That's I think McCoy actually used some terminology like that in this comic. Right. However, if I remember correctly from Star Trek five, and I must say I have seen that movie the least of probably all of them. Um I seem to remember McCoy was dealing with his demons where he 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 did a mercy killing of his father because he didn't think there was any way uh, there was any cure, right? And then and, they cured it the next day. Ex- the next day, exactly. It's like, oh my god, really? That that's really bad timing. But <laughs> um, different story though, right? And but that story hadn't been written yet. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying a little inconsistency out there, which yep. I know you don't like. Nope. Yeah, because I don't think in Star Trek Five he said what his father's occupation was. No, I. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, at least I don't remember. So he could have been a preacher, and yeah, but still. Anyway, but he did not refuse treatment. Um, it's just he asked to die because he thought that he was not going to be able to live. Right. Right. Something and like McCoy that. Boy, did it. But I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I don't remember. But it was he kind of refused treatment, so well, in, at least in that regards, it's kind of the same. I don't know. But it was supposed to be incurable. I mean, I think that was the point. Right, that was the point. Because otherwise, McCoy wouldn't have done a mercy killing. Did he mercy kill him or just not give him... I can't remember. I thought he mercy killed him. Well, that's horrible. Well... It's a horrible situation. It's a horrible situation, exactly. But if somebody you love is in a position of great pain and there does not appear to be any way to, 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 to stop it or cure it, bad, 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 bad. So um, anyway, 
But that's what makes it more poignant, right? I mean, you're actually physically killing your father because you love him. And then the next day there's a cure. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> that's, a, that's really melodramatic, but whatever. Right. Um, one other thing I just want to mention is... <laughs> uh, so Spock and Kirk are walking down the hill or something. And With the backpack? And Spock explains the union of Enlai and, you know, the glowing lady by right. using an analogy to the groundhog, the earth groundhog. Oh, yeah. It's like, what? 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 What does that even mean? Oh, my God, that's horrible. <laughs> Searching for its shadow. So the mysterious woman is Enlai's shadow? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't get but, it. Uh, 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 anyway, uh, I thought the drawing was pretty bad. Um, I thought the Enterprise looked bad. There was mm-hmm. one panel where, I mean, it looked like, you know, looked like, you know, a grade schooler drew it. And the nacelles were way low. And they stuck out real far. So it looked like the nacelles were even maybe below the saucer section. Right. In right. that one. And it was like, I mean, there were some other ones where, where the Enterprise looked okay. But this particular panel, it looked bad. There was quite a few where it looked pretty wonky. Yeah. Yeah. And it was unclear, like, when they did the um, the big fight with the big guy. And then suddenly they're just all floating. Uh, and then they say, the damn storm. And I'm like, what storm? Man, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know <laughs> if it was just the artwork. Was it conveying what it was supposed to be conveying? Yeah. I, I was really confused. Yeah, and, and I'm blaming the artwork and not the uh, author. Not yeah. I mean, maybe it was supposed to be clearer, but I don't know. And then I thought the woman, the the ghost woman, right, often looked kind of odd. I Man, I know she's a ghost woman, but I don't know. She something about it was always kind of like, especially when they were like watching it on the view screen. Right. It looked like. You know, I I don't want to badmouth the 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 art too much because it's still better than I could do. Right. But it looked like something I would have tried to do. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and another thing with all the inconsistencies and the lack of understanding of what the heck's going on. I mean, isn't there supposed? To, isn't that where the editor comes in? I mean, he's got the overall, or she has the overall view of the script, the art, the lettering, you know, the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still a muddled mess, right? Yeah, I mean, I really feel like this was a, a filler issue. I kind of, you know, we've we've had other times where it just seemed like there was a random issue, and I I kind of wonder if they just had a stack of just random issues that they could always fall back on if they ever got behind schedule or something, and and this happened to be one of them, right? Or maybe it was something they could produce relatively quickly. Maybe, yeah. So. Anyway, right. So with this one, a lot of the okay. So the the support people were the same: Robert Greenberger, Michelle Wolfman, Tim Harkins for Letterer. Uh, right. It's really just the artist and the um, the writer. Writer. Yep. Who were guests? Okay. There you go. Well, uh, it's it's kind of um. Oh, by the way, the the phaser beam is coming out of the engineering section. The secondary when, hull. When they're shooting the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Shooting all the people that just wanted to 
Oh, I'm dying. Uh -huh. I see the holy woman. Exactly. And then phasered from the sky. Well, yeah, from them. the engineer. Probably killed half of them. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure there's no uh, there's no phaser emitters on the uh, secondary hull. But... Not, not that I've ever seen. Right. Anyway, so um, this is a bit of a whimper to go out on, but mm -hmm. there you go. Right, and it's very sad because if you read the um, the comments, they definitely talk about, you know, in one of the comments, they even talk about that they have plans up to issue 100, and you're just like, oh, this was your last one, Bob. You, how do you not know this? <laughs> well, they were able to pick it back up again with Volume 2. True. Who, who knows if some of those plans maybe did come about. And... Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, that it, Ken? Uh, one minor thing, very minor. Um, it looks like Scotty's tunic color changed on page 14. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, so he begins a sentence in one panel, and he's got a blue shirt on. Light blue shirt on. So it mm -hmm. looked like maybe it was McCoy or something. And then he ends the sentence with his customary red shirt. So I just thought I'd mention that. Oh, where he says, Mr. Spock, the ion storms knocked us off course? Right. Oh, okay. I thought that was McCoy when I was reading it, but that doesn't make sense. No. Why would McCoy be commenting on that? Good <laughs> uh, anyway. Good catch, Ken. Yeah. Yeah, that, that definitely looks like McCoy from behind, only he's got darker hair. Right. I mean, because they're definitely drawing McCoy with brown hair. Same color as Kirk's, interestingly enough. Hey, whatever. Okay. All right. Well, that's all I got to say, man. Well, next week, do you want to do the annual, the last DC annual? Yeah, let's do the annual. So I was thinking, and we haven't talked about this, but uh, maybe we do the annual and then the next uh, New Visions with um, the IDW New Visions with the... Uh, the photo novel. Okay. And that should Sounds be good. enough for one episode, I think. I think so. Because the annual is going to be double the size. And those new visions tend to be kind of long. Right. Right. Yep. All right. Should then we'll enough. truly be done with DC. Cool. Nice check mark. Yeah. From that a little, standpoint. A little, little bittersweet, but... Yes, there you go. Good to have it done. Right. All right, then. Well... Until next week, I'll uh, I'll be reading some Star Trek. Me too. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. <laughs>